Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Monday, September 28th. We begin with a look at the return to work for many businesses, which either completely closed at one point or had employees working from home during the pandemic. We get some suggestions on how to successfully transition from the Canadian Safety Association. Next, with the numbers increasing at an alarming rate, we look at new restrictions and fines now in place in the UK. We get details from Global's Europe Bureau Chief, Crystal Guman Singh. Then we look at the bombshell report from the New York Times on President Donald Trump's tax returns, including allegations the president didn't pay taxes for a total of 10 years out of the past 15. We speak with Reggie Cicchini, Global News Washington correspondent. And finally, they've grown in popularity over the past couple of years. Our on-call family physician, Dr. Ted Jablonski, weighs in on the effectiveness of weighted blankets. 609 now, and there are very few workplaces, let's face it, which operations are unaffected by the COVID-19 pandemic. And as uh, many more Canadians return to the workplace, businesses have to take the proper precautions or workplaces could become sites of transmission, much like we're seeing in the schools. So to talk about precautions, we are joined by the Director of Government Relations for the CSA Group, Doug Morton. Hi, Doug. Good morning. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Well, thanks so much for joining us. As we look at workplaces, let's kind of compare them to schools then and and talk about how, yes, it makes sense. We do need, as people are heading back to work more and more these days, we've got to make sure that we're making, uh, you know, all, all the right setups in place so that people don't get sick as soon as they return. Uh, that's absolutely right. And, and CSA Group, we just published a research report on the very topic of reopening businesses, uh, either during the pandemic or, or following the pandemic. And we look at three main areas uh, that um, employers should be concerned about. One is the building systems themselves, the you know heating, ventilation, and air conditioning systems, water systems, et cetera. They will need to be inspected and, and tested before people return to work, or at least if they're already at work, to make sure they're safe. We also look at a second domain, which is workplace organization. How do businesses need to structure themselves? How do they need to look at their, their workplaces, their workspaces for people uh, to make sure they're safe? And then lastly, of course, this pandemic uh, not only has uh, caused physical issues for people, but also psychological health and safety uh, issues, especially for people, for example, that are working from home that are still looking after children or perhaps their their elderly parents. So there's a lot to consider for employers in in this environment. And Doug, uh, you know, from your standpoint, you know, hoping that you can lend some knowledge and uh, maybe some uh, tips and suggestions for uh, different businesses. It's got to be tough because it's not a one-size-fits-all. Every business is different. Some work in close proximity. Some are, uh, you know, shoulder-to-shoulder. Others, you know, it could be a case of, you know, how to uh, make sure people have the proper protocols on the elevator to get to the 18th floor. Uh, that's exactly right. And, you know, you raise the issue of elevators and, you know, in, in large centers where elevators are primarily used to get people to their floors, it, it is a, an important issue. You have to be concerned about how many people are you going to allow on an elevator? What kind of social distancing uh, should you be enforcing? And to your point, uh, Andrew, you know, when you look at uh, the, the physical location of, of workplaces, how are people going to be spaced when they get back to the office? Uh, will we have one way, you know, circulation uh, throughout the uh, the office as well so that people aren't coming into contact are they going to be wearing masks or respirators or face shields to protect them and and again depending on the size of the business it may be a very simple fix or it may be a very complex fix this is a very unique situation normally in occupational health and safety 
you're protecting people against, for example, perhaps dangerous machines or chemicals. In this case, we're, we're having to protect people from other people. So it's very unique, and it offers very unique challenges to, to businesses. So, Doug, how does it work? Are, are the, the rules that are in place for if, say, you have a, a, an open workspace at your office, are the rules in place municipally? Are they provincial? Are they federal? How, who's following what? Well, this is one of the things that we say in the report. There are many uh, uh, organizations, including governments and public health uh, offices, that are you know, publishing information for people to understand. And a lot of that is local, to be quite honest with you. So one of the things that we're advocating in our report is that employers really need to educate uh, their, their staffs about local public health orders, whether that's physical distancing, whether that's wearing masks, et cetera, et cetera. So it really is on a jurisdiction-by-jurisdiction jurisdiction basis. And you know what? It's, it's, it's one of those things also that if employees, Sue and I were talking about this earlier in the program, if employees think, you know, I, I don't want to come back, I want to stay at home, that's another c- uh, concern there because I, I'm, I'm guessing you, in some cases you want the whole team under the same roof, but there has to be some allotments for letting those who are too uncomfortable to, to still get their work done from home. Absolutely, Andrew, and that, and that's what the third part of our report that talks about supporting workers really looks at. Uh, some people are going to be uncomfortable coming back. Uh, perhaps they folks haven't sent their kids back to school, so they have to stay at home. And companies have to be very flexible in their approach to their staff to make sure that those kinds of issues are, are, are also taken into account. Uh, are people working from home? Are they going to be working in an office alone? Should we be changing the shifts and giving people alternatives? in terms of when and how they return to work. So those are all things that employers really need to uh, to look at. So, Doug, this report you speak of, uh, is this going, like, what do you do with it now that you've sort of looked into it and found these three sort of, uh, you know, ideas that you need to work beyond? So what do you do with this report now? Well, we're making the report. We're informing people, of course, that the report is available. And, by the way, it's available on our website at csagroup.ca. Uh, just click on that, and you'll you'll be able to see the report. You can download it for free. Employers can have a look at it and see what aspects of it may apply to their businesses. We're 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 informing public health uh, officials across the country, government officials across the country about the the report, and CSA itself. We develop standards and we test products for safety. We're also looking at the report to see what we should be doing relative to perhaps developing new national standards or safety protocols. The uh, pandemic is new to all of us, and I'm wondering, CSA Group, it's kind of an interesting dynamic. Did you, did you folks have anything in place for, for something like this as far as training and protocols before we uh, came into this uh, coronavirus crisis? Well, you actually raise an excellent point, and one of the things that our report shows is that uh, organizations that have comprehensive uh, occupational health and safety practices are more likely uh, to have employers, employees rather, that are willing to change and in light of the pandemic. And so, from a CSA point of view. Uh, from our perspective, our, our whole mantra is safety. And so looking at uh, occupational health and safety for a whole range of issues, uh, including uh, major medical outbreaks, is something that we continually uh, do, and we encourage businesses to, to have a process in place of continual improvement. And actually, in light of the situation that we're in now, to develop business continuity plans and pandemic response plans. And fortunately, our organization have, have those in place. 
Let's face it, you know, from all accounts, it doesn't look like this will be the last pandemic we ever encounter. So to have, uh, you know, things in place and be ready for it makes a lot of sense. And hopefully businesses will reach out and uh, find out more about your report. Thanks for joining us, Doug. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. That's Doug Morton, Director of Government Relations for the CSA Group. And if you want to see that report or perhaps pass it along to, uh, you know, those who are in charge of your workplace, www.csagroup.ca. And I'm glad that Doug mentioned the uh, mental toll as well, because I think it's so important. Yeah, I, I, on social media, I've seen more than a few friends who work in the downtown core who say, I'm, I'm still not ready. Mm-hmm. And now whether or not their employer says, well, you will be ready if you work here or not, uh, has to do a lot, uh, you know, uh, to your decision, I would think. If you're, if you're into a corner, you have to go back in. Speaking of that, in a moment, let's go to commercial for a second, then come back. We'll talk about a new Alberta survey oh, yeah. and talking about the toll that this pandemic has taken on people's mental health in our province. 617, time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Only one traffic light from the mountains. on the morning news. COVID numbers are on the rise in the UK, including infections, hospitalizations, and deaths. With an update, we're joined by Global's Europe Bureau Chief, Crystal Gumansing. Good morning to you, Crystal. Good morning. Well, as of today, new rules and fines in place for certain COVID-positive people in the UK. What are these rules that are in place now? There's a, a, a mix of them depending on where you are, but to give you a sense of sort of the the effort being put behind trying to bring down some of these numbers, for example, in the UK and in England, if uh, you have been told by the National Health Service track and trace team that you've been in contact with someone who has the virus or you're waiting to get your test back, if you don't adhere to these self-isolation rules, you could be fined anywhere from £1,000 to £10,000, depending if you're a repeat, repeat offender. So we're looking at one thousand pounds it's seventeen hundred dollars canadian so that is a big fine there are also increasing fines where you know in england only supposed to be in a, a, a bubble of six people you can't have a bigger grouping than that if you head out to the park or maybe to a restaurant they're saying if you break that rule fines could be um they've been increased to 200 pounds if you don't wear your mask on uh, a, a bus or in a shop again you could have that fine of 200 pounds and they are saying you know police are going to be tasked with going out and making sure businesses and shops and people are acting in COVID secure ways. Uh, We heard Boris Johnson last week in his address to the nation saying, listen, the military is going to be on standby. If the police need extra help doing some other duties, we will make sure that, you know, they are able to, to get out and police these new rules. So there is an effort underway to do what can be done to try to bring these numbers down. And we are talking about very high numbers. In some cases last week in the UK, we saw daily infection rates higher than what we saw back in, you know, April and March. The latest numbers we're still waiting for the last 24 hour period. But on Sunday, the numbers were 5,693 positive cases, uh, more than 1,700 people in hospital, number of people on ventilators. That is up as well. Uh, The latest numbers were 262 and a big number is the death count. Of course, we know that the UK had the highest death rate because of COVID-19 in all of Europe. That number just sitting below 
42,000. So there is talk of more restrictions being considered, more uh, actions being looked at in an effort to try to bring these numbers down. We know that we're in a level four situation. There's five levels for the pandemic alert system here in the UK. And officials have warned that these numbers are going to keep going up based on infection rates doubling about every seven days. Powerful numbers, as no doubt the government has uh, released that new app to try and track the uh, the folks who are infected. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for the update, Crystal. Appreciate your time. You're welcome. Take care. You too. That's Crystal Gumansing, Europe Bureau Chief for Global News. Time for great ideas for Hanson Land Brokers, helping ranchers and farmers for almost 30 years selling and buying agricultural land in Alberta. Visit hansonland.ca. on the morning news. U.S. President Donald Trump's description of himself as a shrewd and patriotic businessman is taking a hit. A report in the New York Times says Trump paid zero taxes in 10 of the last 15 years and only paid $750 in 2016, the year he won presidency. We're talking with Global's Washington correspondent, uh, Reggie Cicchini, now for some more details. Good morning to you, Reggie. Good morning. This came out, and, uh, you know, this is from the New York Times, so it's somewhat of a reputable source. The president not happy to hear this. Yes, it is a reputable source, and we can kind of preface all of this with the New York Times wouldn't come out with a story like this that goes so deep into the president's personal finances with comments from the president's legal team, or at least from Donald Trump's legal team, uh, without putting it through their own incredibly in-depth legal vet before it goes to publish. So, you know, for anyone trying to cry it out as a fake news hit on the president, uh, there is a legal backing to this New York Times story. Uh, And it is big. It opens up new questions about the president's finances. It opens up about uh, uh, his potential uh, ability to be compromised uh, well in the Oval Office, potentially over the next four years. Uh, and it is going to be a, a, a topic of conversation that sticks around, not only through the debate tomorrow, but through Election Day and beyond. Break down the numbers for us, Reggie. What are we hearing in terms of what he's paid and what he hasn't paid? So the numbers are kind of are, are huge and all over the place, uh, and there's a lot of them. But the most important ones uh, for the American public are, A, the president is shown to have paid $0 in income taxes for 10 of the 15 years before he was elected. In two of those years after he was elected, he paid only $750, which is even lower than somebody who makes a salary of $18,000 in the U.S. who would pay $760 uh, in income taxes. It shows that the president has eclipsed the $400 million mark in uh, unpaid loans uh, and debts that are going to become due sometime in the next four years, which raises the question over a potential bankruptcy or foreclosure on a sitting president. Uh, And it also shows that there are questionable tax write-offs, up to and including $70,000 on haircuts when he was on The Apprentice, a $700,000 consulting fee paid to Ivanka Trump, who was already an employee of the Trump uh, organization, who then it came to light because she claimed that his income, the president put it in uh, as a tax write-off, and, and, and a significant number of other multi-million dollar transactions with foreign uh, countries that are really what's making it questionable as to whether the president could find himself in a vulnerable position. Well, and Donald Trump has said before that he cannot release his taxes because they are under audit. What do we know about the, the truth behind that? Is, is that the case? 
So the IRS has come out for the last four years and said being under audit does not preclude anybody from releasing their tax returns. Uh, we do know that there is an investigation underway between the IRS and Donald Trump over a $75 million tax refund that he was given. That's linked to a closure of one of his casinos in Atlantic City, but he ended up keeping a stake in it. He was getting money. He was able to kind of work the tax loopholes to get that refund. They're now questioning the legality of that. That could potentially hinder that year's release from coming out. But at no point... Uh, uh, has Donald Trump ever been stopped by the IRS for releasing it? This is simply just that kind of sneak peek without actually getting our hands on those reviews, uh, reports rather, to see what has gone on financially inside Donald Trump, the Trump Organization, and the Trump family for at least the last two decades. And as you mentioned at the beginning, Reggie, we have a debate coming up tomorrow night. I mean, this likely won't sway Trump supporters, but does it sway others, and how might it? Well, look, it's hard to say that, that there are any kind of um, uh, undecided voters in this country with political minds really having been baked in over the last four years. And look, with Donald Trump's base, this is likely not going to move the needle much at all. They stood by him during the Access Hollywood tapes uh, in and around this time in 2016. They've stuck with him through scandals. Uh, and this will, uh, in the eyes of his base, potentially be a, hey, look, the president is a good businessman. He's a multi-billionaire. This is what rich people do with the tax law, uh, kind of good on him. This could potentially just fly over the heads of those that are greatly impacted by what the president has done, uh, and they won't see any issue with it. But it is going to become uh, a topic of conversation at the debate. Joe Biden has been off the grid for days now preparing for it, uh, and this gives him an opportunity to now kind of dive into it to be able to come up with uh, comments, questions, and statements that really could back Donald Trump into a corner because we know he hasn't done any debate prep in the last couple of days. His press secretary said that this morning. This will be debate fodder. I would think that you can flip on the television yeah. tomorrow night and see a lot of this. Um, but let's talk uh, you know, back to the taxes to a certain extent. I mean, he is president, but at the same time, uh, the, the monies that could have to be paid back and the financial pressure from this enormous pile of debt, it's going to come home to roost, isn't it? Yeah, it is. In sometime in the next four or five years, hundreds of millions of dollars in personal loans are going to come due. That's why there is a fear that there could be a foreclosure on a sitting president, because, look, the president is using his office right now to leverage cash to be able to make some of the money that he needs to pay back some of these debts. We know from these reports that a lot of his business ventures uh, have already failed. They failed decades ago, uh, and they continue to lose massive amounts of money, which is what he uses to write off his tax returns to get down to a zero dollars owing uh, in income tax. But more broadly, there are uh, a growing number of tens of millions of dollars in transactions with foreign governments where he has actually paid hundreds of thousands of dollars in income taxes in the Philippines, in India, in Panama. Uh, and, and while there are no new connections drafted with Russia, there are concerns now that the president could find himself vulnerable with a foreign country, possibly a foreign adversary who's tied up in the president's finances. Uh, and this could make him a national security threat because, look, hundreds of U.S. government employees every single year in this country are denied a national are denied a security clearance because they have debt so you can't can you charge it you can't charge a sitting president with a crime can you you can't charge a sitting president with a crime. There's kind of an unwritten law within the Department of Justice. We saw this during the impeachment process. Uh, but there's nothing that stops the IRS, which the president leads, from coming after him to get money that they say is owed to him. There are concerns the president could potentially change up leadership in the IRS in order to better suit what is going to be uh, a rocky four years or change up any kind of leadership before he's potentially voted out from office. Uh, but this is an uncharted territory for the United States to be coming into with a president who is this in indebted both personally uh, and overseas with his company. Mm. 
I guess time will tell. And uh, we've been uh, reading his words on Twitter, but get to hear. Well, I know that he's going to be, uh, you know, maybe having some more press availability in the next 24 hours. But tomorrow night is the real fireworks. What time does the debate uh, kick off tomorrow night, Reggie? Uh, debate starts, I believe, tomorrow night. Uh, it's either 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock uh, on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is set to last for, you know, just over an hour, if that. Uh, and it is going to be uh, a heated moment. This is the first yeah. time these two men have come together over the last uh, over the last uh, election campaign. Uh, and there are going to be fireworks. Whose is it to lose? I mean, he, Trump has painted Biden basically as a moron. Is he going to be a, is he a good debater and and who like how, what do you think is going to happen here well look J- joe biden knows how to debate he, he the democrats fear that he oftentimes gets kind of off on a tangent and he kind of rambles along uh but joe biden has done this before he's been in the political circus for decades uh president donald trump has only done a few of these presidential debates uh with hillary clinton he did come out as a winner in a couple of them but right now the president's only running on a legacy and a lot of that legacy simply doesn't exist he just has talking points that are oftentimes circular uh and this is an opportunity for joe biden to just give simple, clear, and concise answers because, as you said, Donald Trump has set the bar so low here that Joe Biden doesn't actually need to do much to be declared a winner. Wow. It's going to be some must-see TV Mm -hmm. and a very busy time down south. Thanks for your time this morning, Reggie. Thank you. That is Reggie Cicchini, Global's Washington correspondent. 717 helicopter traffic time for West District by Truman. You will find a home that fits your lifestyle. seen ads for them. Maybe you have a friend or a family member who uses one. Weighted blankets have sure grown in popularity over the past couple of years. A lot of people say they they help them sleep, they help with anxiety. So we thought we'd take the topic to Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Good morning, Dr. J. Good morning. Hey, thank you for joining us. This is an interesting one. I had thought about one of these for my son. He has a little bit of anxiety. Is there any research to show weighted blankets can help sleep better or any of these kind of conditions? Yeah, so I was very surprised um, that there was a study just coming out of Sweden where they looked at 120 people and they followed them out for a year and uh, half the people got a uh, just a regular blanket and the other half got a six to eight kilogram blanket. That's a very heavy blanket. And the response to the weighted blankets was up to 60%. And with a 50% reduction of, of uh, response to uh, like their sleep patterns and to their mental health. And this carried out to a year. So the, the group that responded got to use the blanket. And a year later, up to 90% were still responding with up to 70% reduction of symptoms. That's unbelievable. So that really perked my attention reading that study, which is actually quite current and, and quite reasonable. 
So what's behind it, Dr. J? I mean, it's a, it's a heavier blanket. It seems like the most simple technology in the history of the world. Absolutely. So it's all got to do with our nervous system. So we have a nervous system that we can control. Uh, you know, you want to pick something up, you tell your muscles to pick it up and you do it. But there's also another part to our nervous system, which controls heart rate, uh, blood pressure, temperature, sweating, shivering. And it's that uh, sympathetic sy- system and the parasympathetic system, without getting too technical, mm-hmm. but that's where the weighted blankets seem to have an effect. So if I put that pressure on my skin, the sympathetic tone seems to go down. So my heart rate goes down, my blood pressure goes down, I feel much calmer. If the uh, parasympathetic tone goes up, my muscles relax, I feel calmer also. So this is what seems to have the effect. By having that pressure on my skin, I seem to get a better tone in both directions to have a very physically calming effect on me. It's fascinating. And I know there are different weights of the weighted blankets you can get too. Yeah, and I think it's all related to tolerance. Uh, so in the study, they, they allowed that eight kilogram. If somebody really couldn't handle it, they dropped it down to six. But it, it appears any kind of weight uh, that you can tolerate might have an effect. Oh, incredible stuff. Might be putting that on the Christmas list. Mm-hmm. Uh, really appreciate your time this morning, Dr. J. Okay, you betcha. That is Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician.